Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, a podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and do I truly have something to sing about tonight? Returning to the show is the one and only Lydia. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Welcome back, Lydia. Thank you so much for joining well, me. Well, thank you. I'm going to hold you to that, though. I'm going to make you sing later. You will regret that. <laughs> but it'll be once in a lifetime experience. <laughs> oh, I, I guarantee you it would. Uh, <laughs> uh, welcome back. I'm so glad. Uh, I'm sorry that, you know, schedules just kind of kept just going opposite directions for us last month. Well, I had some major life events going on, a mm-hmm. interstate move and a lot of other things. So I'm, uh, I'm glad you didn't just toss me aside and forget about me. <laughs> Absolutely not. I do appreciate, uh, you know, Pete Quint who stepped in and, uh, and watched. I, I, I want to ask you though, I just want briefly, what, what did you think of Embryo? Do you remember anything from it? I mean, we. I think. Did you ever get a chance to watch? I was going to say maybe we, we should gonna... cut that whole question. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't get a chance okay. to watch it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm sure I'd have something insightful and helpful to to provide. But I didn't. <laughs> Short answer: No. <laughs> it was probably may have been better that you didn't. Uh, neither <laughs> Pete or I were really too fond of maybe it. So I, I think loved it's one. It. Now I have to go watch. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, before we get going into uh, this month's topic, I do want to remind everybody that you can subscribe and download our episodes via iTunes and Stitcher Radio. We are available on Google Play now as well. Any feedback, uh, voicemails, you know, you can record an MP3 or something or just type up an email. You can send it to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. And please do come and join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for Orphan Entertainment. And, of course, if you want to watch any of the films that we have discussed in the past or going to discuss in the future, I always try to post a week or two before we do, we have an episode of it, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we are continue to get uh, lots of uh, uh, subscribers on that and comments on the videos, and it's just uh, it's really great. Um, I will ask, you know, I do turn on uh, monetization on it, but I keep it down to just the, the skippable ad in the beginning. But maybe don't skip the ad if you don't mind, because <laughs> I think we I think we may actually get like you know one half of one cent or something every time some of those ads play. Seriously, two people watch and we get a penny. I don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I didn't even know we had had that on. But um, yeah, but you can definitely skip those. So you can skip them, but I don't I, get discouraged. <laughs> yeah, but but I'd appreciate it if you didn't, <laughs> because maybe we might get a, just a just a tiny little bit from it, and that'll that of course would help go towards uh, hosting fees and that sort of stuff and equipment. Yes, upgrade our microphones. Yeah, exactly. I think I'm about <laughs> as good as I'm going to get on my right. microphone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mixer. Boy, would that be nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, we are going to listen to another five-minute mystery and another promo from another fabulous podcast. And when we get back, we will discuss 1937's Something to Sing About. Another five-minute mystery. Anniversary party is going on at the Brown household around the corner. 
One of the guests, George Taylor, pauses while eating his dessert to say, Hmm, best lemon chiffon pie I've ever tasted, Mary. I wish my wife could do as well. Say, it doesn't look as if Sam is appreciating it much, though. Goodness, is my cooking that fast? Sam, your head's practically in your plate. I guess it's falling asleep every one. I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right. Sam, Sam, sit up. Oh, dreadful. I'd, I'd better shake him. Sam. Sam! Wait, can't he? He's dead. How do you do? I'm Sergeant Barker, the homicide division. Oh. He's one of my boys, Mike Grady. Where's the body? In the dining room at the table. We didn't move him. Mm-hmm. I uh, might as well be comfortable, everybody. This will take just a little while. Mm. Dead, all right. Peaceful, too. Uh, who's Mrs. Sam Brown? I am. And do you mind telling me what happened? I guess not, but I'm so shocked I, I don't know where to begin or what to tell you. Well, you might as well begin by telling me what you served for dinner. Well, we had soup first. Soup? What kind? Mushroom, then roast chicken, green peas, mashed potatoes, dessert, and coffee. But I, I don't see how this could mean anything. Yeah, just routine, Mrs. Brown. Did Mr. Brown eat everything? Yes, he did. He seemed to fall asleep over his coffee. Mm-hmm. And when I tried to wake him, I, I found he'd had a heart attack. Yeah. That'll be all for a few minutes, Mrs. Brown. We want to take a look around. Uh, notice anything about this table, Mike? No, Chief, I can't say as I do. Yeah, neither do I. Let's uh, look in this kitchen here. Yeah, orderly person, isn't she? Stack dishes after each course. Yes, and here's the silverware over here. Ah, look, look, Chief. One of these soup spoons has turned black. Right? Let me see it. And the only spoon that's tarnished, too. Well, I was beginning to think it was a heart attack or a perfect murder, but this silver soup spoon is evidence enough. Uh, Mrs. Brown? Yes, Sergeant Parker? I'm sorry to interrupt your little party, Mrs. Brown, but I'm sure your guests won't mind. I, I don't understand. You will, Mrs. Brown, you will. You see, you're under arrest for the murder of your husband. Do you know why Sergeant Barker accused Mrs. Brown of murder? In a moment, we'll hear the solution. But first, a word from our sponsor. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to... Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Radio! Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit MonsterKidRadio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton. Only on Monster Monster Kid Radio. And now, back to our story. Sergeant Barker, how do you know it was homicide? Well, Mrs. Brown took careful pains to wash the soup pans and soup dishes before she served the rest of the meal. Yes, I can see that. But she forgot one thing, to wash the silver soup spoons. What she didn't realize was that an hour later, by the end of dinner, the spoon her husband had used to eat his toadstool soup would give her away. She didn't know that toadstools make silver turn black. 
Mrs. Brown almost committed the perfect murder, but she forgot to wash one spoon. Welcome back. All right, as I said, 1937, something to sing about. This was produced by Grand National Pictures, who was able to sign up actor James Cagney after he had one of his several falling outs with Warner Brothers. (laughs) He made the film Great Guy for Grand National, and then Cagney was offered Angels with Dirty Faces, which was a property that the, the studio had picked up. Cagney was worried about being typecast as a gangster, as he had recently been in Warner's, Warner Brothers, which I guess might have attributed to one of his to his falling out. And he, instead, he went for the musical satire on Hollywood called "Something to Sing About." The picture, unfortunately, never turned a profit, as and as the company's biggest investment uh, brought a pretty much brought about the end of the studio. They reportedly spent about nine hundred thousand dollars on this picture. Lydia, that's about 15 million bucks in today's money. Yeah, I saw that budget, and I thought that seemed remarkably high for that era. (laughs) Yes, it does. And I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about – we'll discuss that a little bit more, I think, at the end after we get done talking about the film. You should be noted that Angels with Dirty Faces, which was eventually picked up and filmed by uh, Warner Brothers, was released in 1938 – and at the 11th Academy Awards, was nominated for three Academy Mm -hmm. Awards, including Best Actor for James Mm -hmm. Cagney. So that's one of those, you know, you kind of wonder. Right. (laughs) Had it it been filmed, of course, it probably would have been filmed by different people, different directors. I mean, who knows what would have happened, but would that that have been the film that uh, kept Grand National uh, in business? Yeah, exactly. Now, I think we spoke about James Cagney pretty much when we did uh, The Time of Your Life. A few several months mm-hmm. back, and I'm not sure about how long ago that was. So I'm not going to go into a lot from him. I do want to mention one uh, actor that appears in this film, William Frawley, mm-hmm. who uh, some people may have recognized if they watched the film. William Frawley was a railroad worker who longed to be an actor. He took that leap and joined his vaudeville acting younger brother, Paul, and started his career acting and writing on stage and eventually moved into film and television. Despite having nearly 100 films under his belt by 1951, he still wasn't terribly well-known until he became the landlord to one Desi and Lucy, Lucy <laughs> Arnaz at the hit show I Love Lucy. Yeah. Yeah, this is Fred Mertz, everybody. <laughs> well, Frawley had garnered a reputation for being a bit of a cantankerous sort and a heavy drinker. Uh, CBS Studios were very hesitant to hire him. Desi Arnaz let Frawley know about the studio's concerns and told him that if he was late for work, arrived drunk, or was unable to perform because of something other than legitimate sickness more than once, they'd write him out of the show. Well, William was good on his promise to Desi, and his work actually earned him five Emmy nominations for his for the wow. show. He was actually offered a spinoff, uh, a sort of um, Fred and Ethel show, after the I Love Lucy closed down. Interesting. Uh, Desi and Lucy offered him, offered the two of them a spinoff show. Uh, he immediately sized, oh yeah, that sounds like, sounds great. But apparently he was still, although he was good about his drinking and actually coming to work on time, he was apparently kind of rough to work with. Mm-hmm. And Vivian Vance, who played Ethel Mertz, uh, refused. Uh, she, apparently they didn't get along at all uh, off camera. They, they were amazing together on camera. Mm-hmm. The story goes that she was a little myth that she had to play wife to a guy that was about 22 years older than wow, she was. interesting. 
and he found out about it, oh. and so he was kind of rude to her, and so she was rude back to him. Yeah, well, that's interesting. The the age difference mm-hmm. there, because there is quite a big age difference between James Cagney and his lead, the lady in this, which is Evelyn Daw. She wasn't an actress I'm very familiar with. Did you know um, much about her? All I know is she only did two films. I got the impression that she was much bigger on the opera and the singing side of it, which, uh, and I don't know if I actually watched the one we posted. I should know this, but I don't. I watched two different versions of them. The first one Mm. had no commercials, but at the end of it, they actually had a little clip promo that that was Mm -hmm. ours. Okay, good. So um, it was interesting, you know, showing, oh, this is our our new singer and actress. She's the leading lady. But then she only ever went on to one other thing. So, and she was about 25 when they made this film. And I was surprised to see, I thought James Cagney would have been very young. He was 38 when they made this. Oh, wow. So there was a bit of difference. Yeah, and much older than I thought, but you never would guess it, you know, from his energy and his, how captivating he is on the screen. So I thought, I just, I was a little surprised at, not really at her age, but at his age, he's much older in this movie than I would have thought he was just based on watching it. Uh, The only other actors I think I'd like to just bring up just because of their, uh, the lineage of actors that they, uh, Kathleen Lockhart plays a newspaper columnist was the wife of Gene Lockhart, mm-hmm. who played the studio boss, Regan. And they their daughter was June Lockhart, very famous for like Lost in Space yes. and Lassie, and uh, you know, one of the great uh, TV moms. And then, of course, her daughter uh, was Anne Lockhart, another actor. So uh, the Lockhart family continues to act right. <laughs> even today, now. even now. So I thought that was kind of cool to see them in there. Mm-hmm. Well, one other, and and this is just more uh, when Ito, the sure, who is yeah, we'll get to him. Plays the mm-hmm. Japanese guy in this. Uh, his he's played by a character named Philip Ahn, but I heard when he first started speaking, I thought I've heard that voice somewhere. And he was yeah. actually uh, he was in a ton of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. he, oh, um, huge. Oh gosh, yeah, Mash, and I, I mean, tons of seventies TV shows, things you know, uh, like all kinds of stuff. Um, but then he was also in what I recognized him from was uh, actually a Shirley Temple movie. He was in the Stowaway. He played Sun Low, and it was it's a bit part, but his voice is so distinctive that as soon as I heard him speaking, um, even with that, the way that he speaks in this, I immediately knew that I recognized him. So he, he, that was just interesting to see him in this because I didn't realize that he'd been in anything else, but I recognized him right away. Yeah, I think I looked at his IMDb, and there there may have been something like 300 credits it's or something like huge. that. Yeah. It was huge, because if there was any need for an Asian actor anytime <laughs> from the, well, obviously from the mid-30s, <laughs> All the way you know, through. Through, the, through the 70s, exactly. you know, whether it would be Korean, Japanese, Chinese, I think he was Korean. He was Korean, that is accurate. Yeah, but he played, you know, of course... What do what do we know? <laughs> They're all, they they all look alike. Well, no, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, we won't get into my history in Japan and all that. But anyway, it is no. fun. I mean, it's fun just to even see these little the. He's not a big character exactly, but he's definitely considered a supporting role and minor role. Yes, yeah, so, right. something that you know, but it's still fun to go back and and recognize him from something else. Well, the film Something to Sing About. We start at a ballroom watching a big band radio show doing a recording. And we meet the band leader, Terry Rooney, played by James Cagney. Uh, immediately starts out with uh, what I thought was a fun voice gag. I admit it got me. 
uh, James Cagney <laughs> opens his mouth and he starts singing. And it, it, it's this very kind of operatic, deep voice. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. They dub Cagney yeah. in this song? I thought that too. I was really <laughs> surprised because I kind of, I didn't think about it at first. And I was like, oh, and I thought he has a, a his singing voice doesn't match his speaking voice. And then I thought, wait a minute, he's dubbed. And then, and then yep. they play over and it's actually the saxophonist that's singing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he, he, he does this about, what, three, four times every time he gets ready to sing. It's another voice. It's another member of the band. Yes. And of course, the last <laughs> voice is Rita Wyatt, his the lead singer for his symphony. Right. Or, and apparently his girlfriend, and as we'll get girlfriend. to later. <laughs> yeah. After the number is over, the announcer lets the audience know that Terry is going to be heading off to Hollywood to star in a motion picture. So obviously his radio show was very popular and like many of the radio stars of the day, he was, you know, they, he got kind of picked up by Hollywood to to appear in films. Yep, so all you was Terry. Thanks friends for a wonderful send-off. As you probably know, Hollywood calls, and I'm about to trade close-ups with Montgomery and Taylor and uh, that other big good-looking fellow, oh, you know who I mean, uh, Gable, and uh, may the best pro field win. <laughs> and now by way of saying goodbye, hit it, you cats! He follows this farewell with a, a dance routine, and we see some of Cagney's footwork, uh, including a, a fun, uh, I guess we recognize it kind of like doing the uh, the floor piano, but they did like a floor xylophone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was surprised. I had, once again, James Cagney has just blown me out of the water. Not only was I impressed by his acting in the previous movie that we watched, but he is a phenomenal dancer and there's he really is there's a part in this where he just you know over and over again he kind of kicks up one side leg and actually looks like touches his toe to the inside of his knee like to mm -hmm. the opposite knee and he does this several times and his leg that he kicks out is perfectly horizontal to the floor this is not yeah. easy to do <laughs> i mean he really <laughs> is a remarkable dancer and i mean even if you only notice that one move that he does which of course there's a whole lot more that he does as well. But it mm -hmm. that really, really helped me understand, okay, this isn't just a guy dancing around on stage. He really was, he was way up there. I mean, he was a phenomenal caliber, caliber of actor, uh, dancer. Yeah, this was actually, surprisingly, this was only one of, I think, three films that he actually gets to do the singing and dancing. Mm -hmm. Most of his work was, you know, the gangster or maybe... Yeah. Maybe just like maybe a romantic lead or something like that. There was this film. There was Yankee Doodle Dandy, and there was one more that it, um, I, I, I'm blanking on. I don't have it in front of me. Well, I'm sure I, I'm, he was. It's worth noting Puck in a Midsummer Night Dream. Um, and I haven't seen that version of it. But now that I know that he was, I really have to see it. I doubt there's yeah. singing and dancing in it. But that would be a completely mm -hmm. different role for him playing like this kind of jester of fairies. I mean, totally Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. I might have to look that up myself. Well, after the show, the band is cleaning up, and Terry offers up some champagne to say goodbye. He doesn't want any prolonged goodbyes at the train. Gets everyone their champagne and everything, and he gets the band to whip up the, a jazzy rendition of the wedding march. <laughs> and, and we get a little bit more tap dancing. While he's dancing, the lovely Rita joins him, 
and he quietly slips a ring on her finger. Uh, that's about the the quietest and most subtle uh, <laughs> proposal proposal I think I've ever seen. I love and I love it too. They they do a lot of subtle things in this movie that you wouldn't think about. I certainly didn't notice until the second time I watched it. But he, you know, she puts her arm around him and he digs in his pocket and puts a ring on her finger and then he grabs her and they start whirling around, you know, dancing and she is just staring at her ring the whole time and it cracked me up because that's so <laughs> that's totally what would happen you know yep. just you know you're like oh my gosh it's so pretty and she's obviously surprised by it but I, I love that they do little things like that it's not it his movies are the first ones where I, that I've seen that are a little unpolished on purpose mm. you know it's mm, not just okay. totally Hollywood it's like a little bit more realistic and I love that about the scene yeah, very. I was just gonna say it gives it a little bit more realism mm-hmm. uh, when the bands kind of joshing with each yes. other or uh, doing stuff. The guy's like, "Hey, have you seen the case for this thingamabopper?" <laughs> yeah, or whatever he calls it. He's like picking up like the tuba or the sousaphone, and <laughs> they're like, "Oh yeah, you ain't complaining. You're not carrying around a small house with yeah. you." Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> that he's at a doghouse and he's got a big face <laughs> there. Yeah. It totally cracked me up. But yeah, it's it's very relaxed and it it makes it easier to fall into just enjoying the movie. Well, one long train ride later, uh, Rooney steps off in uh, Hollywood, California, and we meet Hank Myers. This is uh, the William Frawley character. He's the uh, published for Gaylor Studios. And I love the way I, I you're probably going to go into this, but mm-hmm. but how we meet him cracks me up. Yep. Yep. He uh, he sees um, Terry get off the train like, oh, yep, that looks like him. And he walks up to him, introduces himself. So like, okay, girls, go ahead. <laughs> he's got, a, he's got a gaggle of girls in swimsuits with they all them. run up and, and take they, off their coats and they got swimsuits underneath. <laughs> I <yeah>. love it. <laughs> and they, they, they pose with a bemused, if befuddled Terry for some photographs. Yeah, I love the, some of the looks. Some of them are just kind of like, he's got this look on his face like, what, what in the hell doing? is going on? And there's other 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 times, you know, the one girl poses, throws her arm over him, and he, he's, he's he's smiling like a kid in a candy store. Yeah, and, and I love it. It's, it's a statement about how things were made back then a little bit, I think. But I love it that, you know, there's hardly any introduction, you know, the... To, uh, Hank says the girl's names real quickly and then he's like, okay, everybody pose, you know, and they just right. run up and they do it and he's like, okay, yep. we're done and they all just walk away. Yep. <laughs> they, they grab their coats and they head for the car. Exactly. <laughs> and I love that. I love, of course, you know, it's cold enough that they're all wearing coats there, but they got swimsuits on underneath for the publicity show. Yep. <laughs> well, cut to Gaylor Studios where Terry meets the studio head, Mr. Regan, after meeting his secretaries, plural. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Terry gets into uh, Regan's office, and this is funny. They should note that uh, Regan and Terry have the same coat and hat. Did they? Okay, so I yes. I noticed that. That was a, a little bit of a quiet sight <laughs> gag. They look at each other, and they're both wearing the same checked uh, overcoat. I caught the overcoat the second time I watched it. I didn't realize they had the same hat. But it was certainly I the same. Just... I think. I think it was meant to be the same style yeah. or, this, or the fact that they both had a hat and they both had the same checked overcoat. Right. So Regan peels his overcoat off and throws it like on the chair next, you know, next I to I did him. think it was weird that they were so similar. Like the second time I watched it, I thought, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it was just what's in style. But that is funny. Well, it, it, it comes into a fun play later here. Uh, after a brief speech from Mr. Regan, kind of a... Um, I guess the closest thing is a pep talk to say, (laughs) we're going to turn you into an actor. And we do that with, you know, women, men, even hoofers, because they talk about him being a a, a hoofer, uh, just a dancer. Uh, But anyway, after this speech, Mr. Regan uh, gets on his big intercom and he calls in. um, And again, they try a little bit with the sort of 
little bit of a gag where he pushes the button and like, come over here. And then Terry turns <laughs> to come near the table and like, and Frawley kind of pushes him away. He's like, no, 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 not, not, not you. So, cause he's talking him in, into this intercom and he does it three times, three different buttons, three times. And we meet the a trio of men come in and as Hank refers to them as here they are grief, trouble and worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we find out that it's actually the makeup artist that, Oh, yeah, I have a, this written down, makeup, hair and diction. <laughs> yes, there you go. I, I had it down as a wardrobe, voice coach, and hair and makeup. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is another uh, fun one. The hair and makeup, the stylist, was Dwight Fry. Now, Dwight Fry Wait, is, is would be Is he related 30... to Philip Fry? No, not but, related um, to Philip sh- no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Philip J. Uh, but sorry, he is Dwight the Fry. same man who, uh, you know, monster kids are going to know him very well as uh, Renfield from 1931's Dracula. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, I thought that was very cool. And it was obviously a very different role than he crazed Renfield. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, there's a there's a joke where one of the, the the stylist goes up and looks at Terry in his checked overcoat and hat and he he tugs on it, he pulls on it, and ugh, no man of class wears anything no like this. No gentleman wears clothes. Yes. <laughs> and Regan's like, um, well, yeah, of course. That's why I called you in here. <laughs> <laughs> of course he had just taken off the exact That's same coat. Great. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Well, thus begins Terry's training uh, as an actor, and the first stop is the dialogue coach. Well, and I love to real quickly when the dialogue guy comes in, he's you know asks him to say something, and and Terry says, "Well, it's kind of hard to think of anything offhand or of anything to say," and he has them say it three times, and then he says, "Oh, it's impossible. I couldn't teach him at all." And he's like, "It would take months and months." And uh, and uh, oh, Regan says. Oh, he's in he your hands. Two weeks, <laughs> and he says, "Okay, the everything yeah. is. He had two weeks. <laughs> I want him. Right. I want him being shot in two weeks." I, I don't know why I think this is funny, but I think it's funny that the dialogue coach for the guy who you know this American fellow is going to be an actor in an American film. The dialogue coach isn't, um, you know, has an accent it's, himself. What is he Italian or something like that? Italian. I'm going to say it Italian. Seemed like Italian. He definitely. It's not a British accent at all, and it's definitely not an American accent. So yeah, I totally agree. It's a European it, accent. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, yes. <laughs> but I agree. I thought of that too, and I kind of feel like, you know, they played off of that. So the next scene, you know, he's talking to the dialogue coach, and the dialogue coach says, "Do this," you know, and and he, right. what does he say? Oh, yeah, he, the Duke he, he, showed, he, he tells him to do this line. <laughs> the Duke laughed, ha-ha, as the hounds came running. <laughs> yeah, the Duke laughed. And, yeah, the, the, the Duke blew, it, it, he says, Duke blew his hunting horn and laughed as the hounds came running, ha-ha. And he says, the, I, no, Duke. And he says, that's what I said, Duke. And he says, laugh, that's what I said, laugh. <laughs> but that's. I like the, the first time, though, uh, Terry pretty much mimics him exactly, including his accent. And, and the guy's him. like, no, don't say as I do. Do as I say. <laughs> <laughs> and he does. He says it backwards. Sorry, I kind of went oh. off a little bit there. But but I the the whole point of it is you really understand that Terry's just here like, what? This has like, got to be a joke. Like, yeah. is this for real? I want to hear the pear-shaped sound. <laughs> <laughs> and Terry's response, which end of the pear? I still don't even understand what a pear-shaped <laughs> sound is. I suppose I should say, I still don't understand what a pear-shaped sound is. Ha-ha. Ha-ha. <laughs> well, next up is the wardrobe, uh, where Terry tells us, poor guy, I thought it was funny. He's he's there, of course, still practicing his, I want to, to the Duke left, ha-ha, the whole time. <laughs> and uh, the guy's going around, he's fitting him for a suit, and at one point, he, you know, 
pulls on a suit or pulls up and Terry screams and he, Terry grabs the guy by the collar. He's like, look, I am willing to sit here and let you poke me with pins all day. But if you tickle me one more <laughs> I time, love that. I, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to pull your leg off and wrap it around your head like a scarf. <laughs> I love that so much. But no, I love it. You know, he's all, oh, I'm a nice, peaceful guy, but mm-hmm. I love it because you're expecting him to say, stop sticking me. But he's right. like, I don't care if you stick me with pins, just stop tickling me. <laughs> you tickle me. <laughs> And we finally, we, uh, we get to the makeup department. <laughs> and laughed when the hounds came running. Mr. Rooney, if you don't mind, you distract me. The Duke blew on his hunting horn. Was that pear-shaped enough? You're just aggravating me. Oh, who said? I'm just whipping up a batch of pear-shaped vowels. When I look at that hairline, I could almost cry. Wait a minute. Just a minute. I want you to see this. Now, it'll help. You can take my word for it. It'll help. Now, there. There, Robert Taylor. Now, look. I've heard all I want to hear about Robert Taylor. This pan of mine may not be anything to boast about, but I'm not going to wear a widow's peak. But I... I've worn this face of mine a long time. I've washed it. I've shaved it. I've sung with it. And more than once, I've fallen on it. And if Regan doesn't like it, I'm going to take it right back where it came from. But I will not wear a widow's peak. Savvy? I had to look up a widow's peak. Because I knew what I thought it meant. But I wasn't <laughs> sure what it meant. <laughs> yeah, he's like, if they don't like my face, I'll go back east. But no. <laughs> well, it's time to meet the female star of the film. At least briefly, anyway. It is Stephanie, Stephanie Hayhos. Heyos, Heyos, Heyos. 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 Me say hey, me say. Okay, sorry. <laughs> she is a very stuck up and very full of herself. I guess would be a, a good way to say it. Really? And she is not interested in this young nobody to star in her movie. I would say she's. Uh, I have to draw the parallel here. She's very Lena Lamont. And if you have seen Singing in the Rain, you know exactly what I mean. And if you haven't seen Singing in the Rain, this is essentially, this is so close to the storyline of Singing in the Rain mm. that it, the parallels kind of, I just, I just couldn't ignore them. There is a <laughs> lot about the story that's very similar to Singing in the Rain. Um, not identical, obviously. Right. It's a story that's been told. I don't know if it was told when it's singing the this rain came out. This definitely predates singing the 50s, rain. right? Yeah. Oh yeah. So maybe this is one of the earlier versions, or if not the first version of this type of story. But the story, this story's been told many times since. But there's so much, you know, the addiction coach, and then um, the mm-hmm. the stuck up actress that doesn't want anything to do with the newcomer. I mean, there's there are just parallels there that are, and then you know, of course, the love interest that sings incredibly well. So uh, it's just uh, there are just some some parallels there that I had to mention at this point, but later on, we'll talk a little bit more about her name is Stephanie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They call her Steffi. Well, on the set, we see uh, Regan after dealing with Steffi, he he runs to the set and he talks to the director who's been, uh, who's been working with Terry. And apparently through this conversation, we discover that Terry's actually been doing really great. They've been watching the rushes uh, and he's doing really good. He's so good. In fact, that Regan, doesn't want anyone to tell him how good he is for fear that he's going to create another monster like this Steffi. So he tells the director to just, just keep telling me he's doing horrible. He says, I'll fire anyone that tells him that he isn't. (laughs) (laughs) So later back in Terry's room, we meet his butler, uh, Ito and Terry's pretty down because, you know, 
everyone's been telling him how bad he's been doing on this picture. He feels like he's doing an awful job, even though he he's not. But he he's feeling pretty down in the mouth about it. Ito is a man, as we discussed, <laughs> of Asian origins. Okay, thank you. I thought you were going to end with a man. <laughs> no. And he starts, he's doing the very clipped, oh, humble master would like, you know, dinner kind of shtick. If I'm as bad in this picture as they say I am, I'm going to do the sensational nosedive of the century. It makes honorable master very happy to joke with humble servant. It's no joke, Ito. At least the director doesn't think so. Yes, please. Honorable master would like humble servant bring dinner? No, no, thanks. I'm sick and tired of eating in this joint. Yes, please. You know, Ito, you're the only one around this studio who will even deign to talk to me. And all you can say is, yes, sir, please. Would you rather that I spoke ordinary English, sir? Was that you? Yes, sir. My former employers felt that the accent lent a certain dignity. Now, look here. You're not going to stand there in all this heat and tell me this Japanese lingo is an act. Oh, very much so. Pull up a chair. Sit down. I want to hear about this. Tell me about yourself. I came here aspiring to be an actor. Uh-huh. And they couldn't mold you, huh? They didn't even try. Well, tell me. How do you like being a gentleman's gentleman? Oh, very much. As an actor, it was a long time between meals. What are you doing for dinner? I know of a place on Hollywood Boulevard where they serve wonderful Wiener Schnitzel. Swell. Can I come along? <laughs> it's rather embarrassing, but... Uh... It was a young lady that I had... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't even mention it. Forgive me, will you? Well, uh, you're probably late for your date now. You'd better go on. Oh, well, thank you, please. Come on, now, we don't stop kidding me, will you? Thank you. Thank will you, you, please. Will you go on? Go yeah, home? Yes, sir, please. Yes, sir, please. Yeah, yes, sir, please. Yeah, exactly. Well, still, even after his talk with Ido, he's, uh, Terry's still feeling a bit down, gives Rita a call back in New York. He talks to her for a while and gets Rita to sing the new song that her and the band have been putting have been, been have been working on. I, I love how they do this. Again, it's one of those where it, it's just not too Hollywood. You get one-sided conversations over the phone throughout this movie, just, you know, in short clips. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for at one point he said, you know, sing that song to me. And then the next thing he says is, I don't care if it costs a million. Go ahead. And you don't right. hear what she says, but you know what he means. You know, I don't care how much it costs to, to make this phone call. I want to hear your voice. But I love that because they do the one-sided one. And so it's, it's a little more natural. It feels more like you're just listening in on a phone call. Yeah, exactly. It's not the, what? You want me to pick you up at the at the station? Right. Be and there you don't hear, yeah, right. and they don't cut back and forth between them. So you only hear his side, but you know what you know what they're saying. It's right. Just, it's, it's actually interesting. a, a it's not well-written phone, one half of the phone conversation. Right. <laughs> so you fill in the blanks yourself. Exactly. Well, and, and in this caliber of movie, honestly, it's very well done. I would have expected them just to cut back and forth to him and her for the conversations, but they don't. It, that surprised me, but I also found it refreshing. Honestly, in the film like this, you almost expect the sort of the split screen thing. Yes, exactly. Well, that's what they would have done a decade later. This song seems kind of mournful. It, it seems <laughs> not, like not the kind of song I would sing to somebody who who needs a pick me up. Well, give them a break. I mean, they just wrote it. She just said, <laughs> we just wrote another song. And he says, well, sing me the new song. But he does that's say, true. he says, go ahead, break my heart. Make me cry or something to that effect. Yeah, that's So true. he knows it's not a happy song, but... 
it is it is kind of depressing. And he even comments on yeah. it. He's like, oh, now I, you know, and any more of this, I'm gonna have to hang up the phone. I'm gonna kill myself or something. Yeah, like I'm that. gonna kill, hang myself. <laughs> right. Well, the next day or days later, whatever it was, it's the last day on the set. Uh, Terry is prepping for his the last scene they're gonna film, and it turns out it's a fight scene. Well, the director explains to Terry how, you know, kind of a fake fighting works, which is, I think, funny that no training whatsoever. Just, hey, we're going to film this and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> learn, learn in front of the camera. Uh, the stuntman actually decided to uh, pull one over on Terry. Uh, they go and they, they show him how to fake a punch and show him how they're going to do it. And they let him practice a little bit, you know, kind of get the nerves out. But when they actually start to shoot, uh, they actually go ahead and sock him. <laughs> well, fed up with it all. Terry jumps the guys and a good huge fight breaks out and breaks the set. <laughs> I love it. Like, you know, so they do the first punch and before they even get into it, the one guy says, it's been, it's been a long time since I socked a greenhorn actor or something like that. You yeah. know, and so he goes out and you know, he's going to do it and, and he punches him and they're like, that's great. Cut. And he's, and Terry says, cut. I don't think so. And he jumps up <laughs> and he starts fighting with the other guys. I just, and I love it. It's like, okay, that's it. That's he's like the last day of, Last day of the shoot, I'm done. I'm through with these people. They're nuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can finally fight back. Well, Terry goes on an absolute rampage. <laughs> after after destroying the set, he starts flinging props and pieces of set at the crew all over I the studio. At the, at the diction coach and at the stylist, everybody. Right. Even poor Hank who comes on. Hey, what's going on here? <laughs> Crash. I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and he chases him out. I love it. Well, after this, Terry calls Rita. And tells her he is done. He, he tells her, jump on the first plane, head to San Francisco, they'll get married, and we'll go somewhere, anywhere, as long as it's, as long as it's far away from Gaylor Pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Rita makes it to California. Oh, I love that. And- I do. I want to cut in real quick. I love that scene, too. I mean, it's it's... She's been waiting and waiting to hear from him, and he calls, and as soon as they hang up the phone, she jumps up and she starts singing, and she's, like, running around her room trying to figure out what she's supposed to be doing, but she's too excited. I just It's another one of those cute <laughs> moments. It's not very Hollywood, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit more realistic, and I, I, I love that about it. Rita makes it to California, and as they drive to get the marriage license, Terry confesses something very important to Rita. I didn't know anyone could be as happy as I am. Where are we going now? To the city hall for a license. Oh, sweet, uh... I've got a confession to make. Well, if it's about another girl, I, I don't want to hear it. Oh, no, no, it isn't that. I've got to tell you that my name is not Terry Rooney. I'll break the real one to you very, very gently. It's, uh, it's McGillicuddy. What? McGillicuddy. McGillicuddy? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that isn't the worst. The first name is Thaddeus. Mrs. Thaddeus McGillicuddy. Can you stand it? I've always wanted to be Mrs. Thaddeus McGillicuddy. And uh, where are the McGillicuddy's going on their honeymoon? For the South Seas, and we sail this afternoon. And what's more, we're going on a very exclusive, a very exclusive tram steamer. Tram steamer? Mm-hmm. We're the only passengers. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I love what she says. I, I've always wanted to be Mrs. Thaddeus McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are truly in love. She's actually very sweet. I won't say that she's a very... Her acting isn't on par with a few others in the cast, but it's very cute. She does a very nice sort of young, she has a very nice young, uh, a nice sense of humor about her. Mm -hmm. Um, I like her, her, her giggle. Her laugh is great. Her smile. Yeah. She feels like, or she seems like she's actually having a fun time when the character is supposed to be having a fun time. Yes. 
And again, like you said, it kind of adds to the realism of the, of the yeah, thing. Yeah. And they have this, uh, I, get, I guess that uh, before we get on to the next little bit, we cut back and uh, we see Regan scrambling mm-hmm. to get the film done. Right, exactly. Yeah, he's rushing everybody. Oh, it'll take about a month. You got two weeks. You know, when's this going to be ready? I can have it to you in three weeks. You got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they're scrambling with the sound, with the editing, whatever. And, uh, yeah, he's putting a fire under the post-production of, of the movie. And we see the preview, don't we, at this point? Yeah, we do. We see certain previews. And it's actually, actually kind of well done because you see the little moments. You see uh, uh, you see uh, scenes with Terry doing his singing and everything. You see all the women kind of swooning <laughs> in the audience. And then you see the big fight scene. And, and you see the guys all, yeah. in the audience like, yeah, get them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. So, yeah, and of course, all of the, they write the little uh, survey cards. You know, it's great. Yep. It's swell. More Terry Rooney. Uh, I actually had to pause it to read that. And it was like, did you enjoy the film? Yes. And then it was like, uh, said, you know, how was it? It was great. And then it said, is there an actor in this film you'd like to see again? And all of them had Terry Rooney, Terry Rooney written on him. Exactly. Well, of course, wouldn't you? Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Regan wants to get Terry into the office to sign a contract. Because obviously, you know, these previews are going great. He's going to be a star. Whatever happens, Uh, don't let him know how good he is. (laughs) Exactly. But no one can find Terry. Apparently, Terry didn't bother to mention that he was leaving. Smart guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, by the way, Rooney ought to be here right now to sign his contract. Is Terry Rooney out there? Yeah. Well, fine. I'm waiting for him. Good. Good. I'm getting tired of saying good. Oh, Hank, a terrible thing has happened. We can't find him. Terry Rooney. He's disappeared. He's gone. We can't find him. He's vanished. Oh, I see. Hmm. <laughs> And you're all afraid to tell Regan. Well, now, don't quarrel, boys. Let me tell him. Disappeared. I hope the poor boy didn't commit suicide. That's ridiculous. Yeah? He got some pretty rough treatment around here. I make a star out of him, and you call it rough treatment. Get on the telephone. Call his orchestra. Call New York. Hank, we've got to find that boy. First, I'll have the harbor dragged. Hank, Hank, please, stop. Hank, listen, dear old boy, dear old pal, I'm depending on you now more than I've ever depended on you before. Hire detectives, do anything, but find Rooney and bring him here before he knows he's a success. Now hurry, hurry. Maybe best start with the more. I love that too. Uh, I love, yeah. <laughs> Hank, Check the more Hank first. Was, <laughs> Hank was apparently was not terribly pleased with the treatment that Terry got. No. Yeah, he Obviously, he's just the, the PR man, but he knew what was going on. He knew people were lying to Terry to kind of keep his ego down. And, yeah, he obviously wasn't very pleased. Well, we get a little newspaper montage that a nationwide search for this new star Terry Rooney is on. And we see a clip on board ship. Now, this is a horrible scene. What? Are you serious? We're treated to a literal cat fight to start out. Okay. Now, I agree. I first saw this, and they've got two cats. And I, <laughs> so I agree. So we... Uh. Sorry, let me let me try and actually get my words out. I'm so excited about the scene. I was horrified. I was like, "Oh my gosh, they have these cats. They're holding them up and making them like fight each other. And they're like pawing at each other and like biting. And then like the second time I watched it, I got it. <laughs> so they've got a little boxing uh-huh. ring up, and of course, you know, in the background, Terry's doing all the and the white one's going in, and you know, and right. he's doing all of the announcer kind of telling what's going on. And I realized they've got mittens mm-hmm. on these cats. <laughs> so I mean, they're boxing gloves, but these cats aren't hurting each other. So I was really horrified at first, and then I realized, oh, okay, they're mad, and yeah, it's not 
very good treatment of animals. I will say that because you don't really want to put them in a stressful situation, but they actually aren't hurting each other. So after I realized that, I was like, that's really wrong, but it's a little funny. And guys, I'm a cat lover. Trust me on this one. So, you know, when you're watching this, just they do have little mints on their nose. Yeah, but it's still a little disturbing to see. I I was... they're obviously not fighting to the Thankfully. death. I'm happy to say, so, so, so yeah, it was definitely it's shocking when I, I was horrified at first, and then no, it's it's not as bad as it sounds because when you first see it, it looks horrible, but when you realize they've actually got little boxing gloves on, they're not really hurting each other. Anybody watching this with kids, you can explain <laughs> that to them. <laughs> well, we do get another uh, wonderful little dance routine, which I think is probably what you were uh, alluding to earlier there. Well, and and so this is where when she's like laughing and smiling, she I totally agree with you. She just looks so happy. Rita's just like just totally happy <laughs> with this whole thing. And this is one of the scenes where I was very impressed. Not not just James Cat or yeah, not just James Cagney in this, but there are a couple of other people that do like some mm-hmm. little bit dances. And there's one guy that jumps up in the air and then he rolls forward and it like I I kind of wanted to back it up and watch it over and over because I don't understand how anybody can do that and not seriously damage. Apparently um, a couple of the guys that were in that scene were actually kind of like a regular dance partners for Cagney. They, or he, he trained from them or they trained together. Um, So they they were, they were friends and, and, and fellow dancers. I think one of them actually is the one that sort of uh, got uh, turned Cagney on to the, the work of, uh, of George Cohen and his work, which then led to James Cagney doing something, you know, with Yankee Doodle Dandy. Um, so yeah, so there's a, uh, there's definitely some connection, some definite talent where, you know, these guys kind of help train Cagney, Cagney helped train them something, you know, they dance together. But yeah, it's a fun scene. Um, it's obviously played for laughs and it's for, it, it, it gets pretty silly pretty quick. <laughs> and I did, I, la- I found myself laughing out loud. I really did. Well, the newlyweds return to San Francisco, and they check into a nice hotel. But they go for a nice walk to get their land legs back. And while walking, Terry notices that everyone seems to be staring at him. And I like Rita's, well, it's because you're so beautiful. It's like, well, that's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I do. I like their banter. They Well, suddenly Terry starts hearing himself singing. A local store is playing a record of one of the songs from the film. And then Terry and notice a theater with his name plastered all over the marquee. Well, before he knows what is happening, Terry is swarmed by people looking for autographs. Congratulations and autographs all around. The theater owner uh, pulls Terry out of the crowd and into his office and calls the studio. Arita gets pulled aside, but fortunately a, a, a bellhop or something has apparently uh, off screen talked to Terry and yeah, he'll meet you at the hotel. <laughs> she, and she loves it. She's laughing. Oh, she's cracking up. I think she tells him when he's not like being mugged anymore, mm-hmm. tell him I'll meet him at the hotel. And he says, got it. You'll meet him at the hotel. And then, but he's still confused. He's still looking all over the place for him. He just gets dragged off in this sea of people. Anyway, the studio head, he pulls him in, calls it, or the studio head, the theater owner pulls him in, calls the studio. The stu- the theater owner's thrilled. He's like, oh, thank you so much. You have any idea what this is going to do for my theater? <laughs> well, Regan and Hank head to San Francisco, and they show up with the contract. While reading over the contract, Terry notices a clause that is a deal breaker for him. Apparently... He has to stay single, and as the potential heartthrob of the of the of the year, uh, well, that's not going to work too terribly well. Uh, time to introduce Mrs. McGillicuddy. 
And I rather liked just like, well, I don't know what arrangements <laughs> you have with this Miss McGillicuddy. Because <laughs> even uh, even <laughs> Hank and uh, Mr. Regan there don't know poor uh, Terry's real name. So I thought that was kind of funny that he has to, has to fess up to his name. Oh, yes. Thaddeus McGilligan, what a moniker. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, Terry will not give up Rita for any amount of money, which is apparently a good deal of money on the contract. But Rita starts to come up with a germ of an idea that Hank takes and runs with it. She can travel along as Terry's personal assistant, and he can pretend to be single and thus maintaining his heartthrob status. And that actually leaves us a little less than 40 minutes left of the movie. And I think you can probably start to guess what's going to happen uh, from here on in. Uh, Lydia, you mentioned before we started recording that you had an idea of where I was going to stop the synopsis. Or, am, am, am I close? <laughs> Pretty darn close. I think you went two minutes further than I expected. But that was kind of what yeah, I was expecting. This is where the, I right think the, the, the next big act starts. And it's, you know, the the story that kind of brings us to the conclusion. And that's what I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to give everything away, but it sounds like you kind of, you, you really enjoyed this film. I did. I, uh, <laughs> um, but it, I mean, it, it's kind of just a classic 1930s along par, uh, not along par, but along the same era of, you know, the lady Eve and, and, uh, shall we dance and a lot of those other great musical kind of, Mm-hmm. comedy situational comedy kind of ones um so so yeah i thought you know all things considered the production values were great and i really enjoyed certainly um i'm sorry my brain just failed me <laughs> i certainly enjoyed james cagney and i and i didn't feel like there was any bad casting in it i got a little distracted just by the similarities to singing in the rain but it wasn't that's not a negative point at all toward this movie i i really enjoyed it overall Good. Okay. I'm not sure I was as happy with it as you sound like you were. I think it was a fun story. And yes, some of the, some of the acting, some of the actors in it were really good. There was just some of it I felt was a little too clipped in places. Like maybe the, the directing wasn't quite, it's almost like the story was trying to tell a joke or to do something, but the director wasn't in on it. And so he would cut too fast or, or stay on something too long. And I didn't think it quite worked as well as it probably, as it could have. And I actually was thinking, you know, $900,000, $15 million a night, you know, in today's money. And Mm -hmm. I'm watching this film. I'm like, where did that money go? Because Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about a movie that's being filmed in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So you get to use a studio and you get to make it look like a studio. <laughs> well, there's a scene too early on where they drive into, like it shows a wide shot of the studio mm-hmm. entrance and it, it's the same one in Bowfinger. Um, <laughs> I just, I, that was, I just thought, Oh, that's the entrance of Bowfinger. But I mean, of course those have been around for decades and right. decades, but yeah, I mean, it's literally all they have to do is just a wide angle of their lot right. and like superimpose the name over it. Yeah. And there's, so there's not a lot in the way of sets. I mean, there's a hotel room, which honestly could be, I mean, you're telling me that a anyway. studio doesn't have the hotel room set somewhere. Right. <laughs> um, now the office studio, Regan's office, I swear I've seen this set. I wonder if it's a real, if they weren't for the fact that they did the kind of walk through the wall uh, from one, from one room to another thing, I would swear it was an actual office. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But so I guess it has to be a set. But I swear this is so unique. You know, it's it's this big round like Art Deco round windows everywhere. And it's like it mm-hmm. seems so familiar to me, but I have no idea where I would have seen it. I, I just wonder well, if the set has was used was bought up by another studio and used somewhere else or if it didn't look specifically familiar Mm. to me, but you're exactly right. It is art deco. And there, a lot of that, a lot of that style was very simple, but also kind of very grand. So you do have the arcing things, the round window, like you pointed out. So, I mean, it's, it's just entirely possible. It's just the same setup as another one. Possibly. Yeah. Because it is very simple. I was kind of surprised actually that there wasn't more furniture in his office. He has a a giant (laughs) desk and and, and a huge control panel of, uh, and nowhere for anybody to sit. It was really weird. (laughs) I, I thought for a room this big, shouldn't they have a few more chairs or something? (laughs) Yeah. You'd think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I could. I just can't figure out really where the money went for this. I mean, how much did they spend on James Cagney? <laughs> well, and I agree. I mean, that's a lot. Like I mentioned, Shall We Dance, the original one with Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And there is a ship dancing scene in it. And he goes through this engine room that is huge. Right. I mean, giant moving parts and, and t- you know, these giant canisters that go all the way up to the ceiling and it's two complete separate stories, but it's all in the same room and they pan up onto the, you know, up onto the railing, not the railing, the walkway mm-hmm. or whatever. And I mean, and there's just this massive set. And I, now I feel like I need to look up shall we dance and see how much it costs them to make that because <laughs> the, I totally agree with you. There's, that seems like the money must've uh, makes you wonder, did it really did the money really go to the movie? Yeah, exactly. I guess uh, that's did, what I'm trying to say. Did they go, was, you know, bulk of it, was it all in like the publicity trying to build up this film or? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you really, you really know because even the dance scenes um, for a musical are limited. There's only a few. They're, yeah, they are. They're very, other than the, the shipboard scene and the, uh, the opening uh, ballroom scene, the, the singing and everything is fairly static. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the ship scene's pretty reserved. It's just, it's a very small reserved. set, okay. small stage with, uh, you know, the, the generic boat set kind of. So I did look. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, so it says budget for Shall We Dance, which was a major production. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, which, of course, were huge names, sure. uh, was 990000 okay. So only 10% more than this one was estimated. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you can see where the money was in those. They have huge sets. And in almost everywhere that they go, they've got like an entire – well, I mean, they have a lot of scenes on a ship, and all of that, you know, is laid what out. What year was Shall We Dance? Shall We Dance? This is a great question, actually. 1937. Really? Same year? Same year. And was that in color or black and white? Uh, black and white. Okay, that was black and white as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of uh, Singing in the Rain, which is color, isn't it? Yes, Singing in the Rain came later and is okay. color. I believe it came later. Uh, Singing in the Rain was, sorry, <laughs> 1952. Okay, yeah, much later in color. Okay. So so Shall We Dance in this same year and 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 both in black and white. A similar budget. Yeah, and, interesting. And, you know, a big, two big names, actually. Yeah, you just really and, wonder where that money's going. Yeah, and I totally agree. And it's kind of funny. It's almost like, I almost feel like somebody was like, almost like somebody got like a, little bit of a hint what shall we dance was going to be about and mm. like they were like oh there's a there's a shipboard scene we got to have a shipboard scene. right you know <laughs> it's like kind of so it's interesting no i totally agree with you though the money is it's got a much well i feel like it has a bigger cast than shall we dance but not not no 
Definitely not. Yeah. yeah, I have no idea where the money went. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why the studio didn't make it. Maybe they were mishandling the. I, I, I'm not saying that's what the case, but who knows? I'm speculating. <laughs> who knows what happened here? I'm not. I'm not accusing anybody of anything. I'm just saying I agree with you. I don't. I don't see where the money went. No. So for me, this film it has a few shining moments. It definitely has some um, some shining actors, but overall, I don't think I was thrilled with it as you were. What? Well, I wouldn't put it at the level of Shall We Dance. Um, I wouldn't put it, you know, at the level of the Lady Eve. But it's in that era, and so I felt like I, I don't know. You're, I mean, you know, putting it that way, it does feel like a small studio version of one of the bigger, better known movies. Right. But it does feel like a small version of it. You're you're right in that. So where would you come in on an Othel rating for this? With that comparison made. <laughs> Honestly, with that comparison made, I think I would still give it a four. I, this really? Is, wow. It, it's interesting. I kind of, as I started to watch it the second time, I expected that I would skip through some of the scenes with songs or things like that because I'd already heard mm-hmm. them. But I didn't end up doing that. Um, and, and there's nothing really to detract it. And I feel like there is enough positive about it that I would give it better than an average rating. You know, three is average. I would say I'd give it a little higher. So three and a half or four. You know, I think you can make, I, I just, I feel like three and a half isn't really fair. I feel like there's enough good in this movie to, to give it a four. All right. Fair enough. All right. Uh, wow. This is going to be one of those films that one of the rare uh, occasions when we're kind of on opposite ends <laughs> of the spectrum. Uh, like I said, no, there wasn't that I didn't, I, there's a lot of things about the film I enjoyed, but overall, I really can't say I enjoyed the film. Interesting. Okay. If that, if that makes sense. I mean, uh, I, I'm only going to. I understand that. I won't go as low as a two. I'll give it a two and a half. I mean, I'll just, which is almost kind of an average film, but I just, I don't know. I don't know if there has been, um, supposedly there's been some, uh, pretty egregious versions of this where there's some cutting and I'm not sure if this one had that, uh, because mm-hmm. it fell in the public domain so early, you know, many people have picked it up and done their own little bits to it and everything. But as far as I could tell, this looked to be as full of a story as, as you're going to get. Um, so I don't know if that's mm-hmm. happened, but no, I just, there are just times when a film that this kind of money went into it with this level of actors, it seemed like it should have been more polished. And I don't think it was as polished as it should, as it, as it could have been. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at it strictly from a budget standpoint, I definitely agree with you. Uh, well, it's not just don't. I'm not just uh, counting beans or anything with it. I, I just think that for the level of of acting, they could have done more. The talent that. that they had at their disposal, um, yeah, I think yeah, like simply that it, it could have been more polished, mm-hmm. and, it, and it and it wasn't. Well, what painted up for me was definitely that there was an there was a significant amount of comedy in it, and I didn't necessarily catch all of it, and that's why I say it's kind of one of those where you want to be paying attention. If if you're if you got it out in the background, you're probably not going to enjoy it as much. Um, but, but I can see an argument in, you know, and I know we've talked a little bit about taste as well and I sure. like romantic comedies and I, mm-hmm. and I enjoy musicals. So I, this is not by any, I mean, of, if you were rating this as a musical, I would give it like a two, right. <laughs> but it, okay. but it's not just a musical. I feel like there's a, a fair amount of comedy in it. And I think there's just, I don't know, I guess I was just pleasantly surprised and that's okay. why I rate it so high. Yeah, good. Now, even some of the comedy for me, it almost felt like only one half of the person knew that the joke was coming. Interesting. And so the other half of the conversation kind of didn't know what to do with it. 
and there wasn't the right reaction and maybe to I it. attributed that to just being like the more realistic response (laughs) and again you know two totally different perspectives on it so you know Mm -hmm. watch it and tell us what you think yeah exactly so this yeah there you go (laughs) we you got one person that really liked it one person not so much this is definitely one that i would like to see people uh watch and and, and let us know what they thought And, of course, do that by sending an email to orphanentertainment at gmail.com or join us on our Facebook group or comment on the YouTube page. Lydia, no matter what, it's always fun to talk about these films uh, with you, even even the films I don't care for. I mean, I, I sit here and discuss it, and I, I have an absolute – I had more fun discussing it than I did watching it. <laughs> well, thank you. I definitely enjoy watching it. I would give this conversation a four. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> – I can sit, I, I give every conversation we have a five. Oh, thank you. Well, on that rating scale, I should probably give it a five and a half. But <laughs> <laughs> but as always, I appreciate you inviting me to to talk about it with you. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't. I believe me. Uh, other than the occasions when we just can't get together, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> well, everyone, I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode of Warfare Entertainment. Sorry it's coming out a little later than normal. I promise we'll try to get ourselves back on, well, like we had a real schedule. But <laughs> <laughs> Should be a little better. I'm settled at least. At least I have a <laughs> yeah. home now, so that's good. <laughs> exactly. We're all, we're all getting settled, exactly. so hopefully uh, things will kind of iron themselves out a little smoother. So again, Lydia, I thank you. Uh, and I thank everyone for downloading and listening, and I hope you keep doing so. So until next time, bye, everybody. Bye. Now, wait a second. You were going to sing for me. <laughs> um, Do the sound of music goodbye one. I was just going to say, so long, farewell. What is it? Alvitas and, and goodbye. There this you go. really high for me. <laughs> more of an alto kind of contralto there. <laughs> uh, and, and there will be our alto. <laughs> nice. <laughs>